0: Of you who don't know me, my name is Becky Pickett. Uh, My husband and I and our family have been coming along uh, since we were students, actually, a long time ago now. But we are part of Hope North, so I haven't actually been here on a Sunday morning for a long time. Uh, And also, I'm so excited about being here this morning. I'm so excited about God, what God wants to say to us this morning, what God wants to do in our hearts. I'm also really excited because this is the first time that I've ever preached to actual people. Uh, Before that, I've just been preaching to cameras for Hope Online. And what they don't tell you is that preaching to a camera is a form of torture. They stand you on the stage, they shut all the blinds, they even block off the light coming from those doors. They shine a bright light in your face and then they say, do you see that tiny red light at the back? Preach to that. I want to tell you, I preached my heart out to that tiny red light. It did not so much as flicker. So I'm looking forward to a more responsive audience. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on paradise, loved and lost. And we are going to be looking at work in paradise. So the other day, my seven-year-old Josh said to me, mom, Why did God take so long to make the world? And I wasn't really sure where he was coming from. So I said, well, how long do you think he took to make it? He said, well, the Bible says he took seven days, but why take all that time? He could have just clicked his fingers and it was done. And he's so right, isn't he? God could have, an all-powerful God could have. So I said to him, well, God took his time, because he was enjoying the process. He loves to create. He loves to use his imagination. He loves to um, make things new. He loves to work. In the beginning, before there was anything, God worked. And God enjoyed working. It gave him great pleasure. It was fulfilling, it was fun, it was productive. This morning, we're gonna be looking at work. What work was meant to be like in the beginning, what went wrong, and what that means for us in our work now. So let's have a look at our text this morning. We've been going through Genesis 2, haven't we? This morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 15. You can tell how nervous I am by how many times I take a sip from that. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Avila where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihan. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Right at the beginning of all things, God gives man the privilege and the purpose of joining in with his work. Work is not something we've invented as humans. It's not something that comes to us only after the fall, after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God, no. We were always meant to work. It was always part of God's good plan for us. But what was this work supposed to look like? What was it supposed to be like? I've got six very quick points about what it's supposed to be like in a second. The dictionary defines work as activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. When I'm talking about work this morning, I'm also talking about the main thing you expend your energy on in a normal day. So, you might not have a paid position, you might be a volunteer, you might be retired, you might be unemployed, You might be a student or a stay-at-home parent like I am. You might be a carer for a relative. Whatever you expend your energy on is important to God. God values it. And so this is still very relevant for you. So let's have a look at the Bible's definition of work in the beginning. Firstly... Work was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be good. It was meant to do good. It was meant to do us good. It was meant to do others good. It was meant to join in with his good. Genesis 1, 28 says this, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Work was part of God's blessing here. Secondly, work was meant to cultivate. The verse I just read also tells us that our job was to subdue the earth. Subdue here indicates not that creation was out of control, but that it needed guidance. It needed cultivating and developing, it needed looking after. Work was meant to bring to fruition potential. Potential in creation, potential in society, potential in infrastructure, potential in technology, potential in art and music. I mean, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? Every job you can think of comes under that umbrella. God never wanted the whole world to be a wild jungle. He wanted us to cultivate it, to grow societies and communities that reflected him and his heart. Thirdly, work was meant for belonging. It was meant to bring us into community with God and with each other. Work gave Adam and Eve a sense of belonging in the garden and a sense of community with God as they worked together to cultivate creation. God's greatest desire from the beginning was always to be in community with us, was always to know us. Number four, work was meant to be fulfilling. It was meant to give us purpose and satisfaction. We've all experienced at one time or other the satisfaction of a job well done. We've all been thankful when our days are full of purpose. That's God's blessing and goodness to us. Work was meant to bring us dignity. Tim Keller says this, work of all kinds whether with the hands or the mind, evidences our dignity as human beings because it reflects the image of God, the creator, in us. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve, how they took an apple from the only tree God had forbidden. But what I've really noticed as I've been preparing this talk was just how much... They were throwing away. God had taken his time to make this beautiful paradise. He couldn't get over how wonderful it was. And right at the pinnacle of it all, he creates a man and a woman in his own image, out of the dust, out of bone, made in the image of God. Imagine the outrageous privilege of that. And then even more, God is like, join in with me, work with me, be in community with me. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. He doesn't give this honor to anything else that he creates. Imagine the hurt, the audacity then, as Adam and Eve say, actually, we don't need you. Actually, we can make it on our own. We know better, actually, thanks. Thanks. They turned their back on everything good. and God's heart is broken. It is broken for them because he knew the pain, the consequences they brought upon themselves and the whole of creation. To Adam he said, "'Because you listened to your wife "'and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, "'you must not eat from it. "'Cursed is the ground because of you. "'Through painful toil you will eat food from it "'all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. Paradise was lost. Everything had changed. In that moment... When Adam and Eve chose to live outside of God's goodness, everything in creation began to unravel. All that was good began to be distorted by this lie that says, we can make it on our own. We can do it our own way. Work, this beautiful blessing for joining in with our Heavenly Father, this exuberant, creative, fulfilling way of drawing potential out of life, instead becomes arduous and backbreaking and relentless. God, he's so incredibly kind, isn't he? His heart was always to restore us to him. And so God sends a new tree. Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. He will do what is just and right in the land. It's Jesus. Jesus is coming. And God pours all our punishment, all the things we've done wrong, all our trying to do it our own way upon his only son because he loves us so much. His son took our place by dying on a tree for us. Jesus restored paradise. Listen to this. This is a wonderful verse. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He's created us anew. We mucked it up and he's created us anew. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us right at the beginning. If you're a Christian, if you've put your hope in what Jesus has done for you, in his goodness rather than yours, you've been made anew, so you can join in again. But everything is not yet like it was, and this is an important point before we think about what work looks like now. We're not back at that paradise yet, nor is it like it will be when Jesus returns and he finishes making everything new. And so it is with work. Work is not as it was, nor as it will be, and we live With this tension between the two so we're going to look at three ways that work has been distorted and some of the things we can do as christians to bring god's rest and god's goodness into our work situations and our daily lives number one work can become an idol i was watching tv the other day when an advert came on for google Now, it was a great advert with a good message, actually, but its tagline really summed up some of what we put our hope in as a society, and it was this. The more we learn, the closer we get. The more we learn, the closer we get. And in many ways, this sums up where we put our faith, what we make the all-important thing in our society. Education, career, success, money, work, knowledge. I mean, it's buying into the exact same lie that Adam and Eve bought into, isn't it? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If I know more, I'll have more. Now, there is nothing wrong with work or success or money or education or any of those things. They are good things in and of themselves. Tim Keller defines an idol as a good thing made an ultimate thing. A good thing made an ultimate thing made into something that one worships. Instead of looking for our identity, worth and purpose in our relationship with God and in this great joining in with his work, we can be looking for it in our own work and our own success. Think about the question you're asked most as a child. We're all guilty, we've all asked it ourselves. Who are you going to be? No, I've mucked that up. What are you going to be when you grow up? What we're saying here is what you do, What job you have is going to be the most significant thing about you. It's going to be what defines you and what gives you purpose. A better question would be, who are you going to be? Are you going to be someone who loves Jesus like Jesus loved them? The problem with making work this idol, this thing that defines us, is that the fruit of that is self-promotion. It becomes all about me and how great I am. And what that produces is pressure and stress and striving and overwork and feelings of uselessness if your career or education doesn't go well or if you face unemployment, pride and arrogance if it does go well. We've got to ask ourselves the question, the more we learn, the closer we get to what exactly? What are people aiming for? What are people looking for? paradise paradise perfection wholeness rest now where are we going to find that i wonder christianity says the opposite of that advert it's not the more we learn the closer we get it's the closer we get the more we learn the closer we get to jesus the more wisdom and perspective we gain it's not about us and how great we are it's about him and how great he is How freeing that is. We can find our identity, our rest, our wholeness, our perfection in God. In fact, it's the only place you can find it. Rest doesn't come from our circumstances, it comes from Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, understanding what he's done for us is the best antidote to stress you will ever find. So if our motivation in work isn't success or self or money, What is our motivation then? Ephesians 6 verses 5 to 9 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. What's our motivation? Serve wholeheartedly as if serving the Lord. Not out of striving and trying to get it right, but out of love out of grace. Often we don't realize that much of the goodness we experience in this country comes from people doing their jobs well. It comes from the innovators and the creatives. It comes from those using their brain and those using their brawn. It comes from the relentless pursuit of excellence and effectiveness in all spheres and at all levels. That's how God chooses to bless societies and nations. Think about it, when you don't have this in society, who suffers? The most vulnerable. Where vulnerable people are suffering, someone's not doing their job properly. Not just someone, obviously, but whole corporations, whole infrastructures, whole nations, right? Look at the textile and fast fashion industry. Something is broken there. It's exploiting some of the most vulnerable people in developing countries. One of the best things you can do to love people, to serve the Lord, to bless your country, is to be good at your job, whatever that might be. I serve God by being the absolute best stay-at-home mum that I can. Now, I'm not going to get it right all the time, not in any way, and there is endless grace for that, but it's about the heart, isn't it? It's about your motivation My motivation is to honor Jesus through my daily work. My motivation is him magnified, not me. My best for his glory because I love him. Work can be an idol. Let's serve God instead with excellence, with perseverance, with dedication. It's some of the most beautiful worship we can offer him. Number two, work can become a way to exploit your neighbor. Work can become selfish. Who did Jesus say our neighbor was? Everyone, right? Yet so much work has been done in a way that exploits people, people groups, or even nations. And to a certain extent, we're all guilty of partnering with that, aren't we? This wasn't what God intended for work at all. Proverbs 11 verse 10 says this, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Why would the city rejoice because other people are prospering? Because their prospering did the city good. The righteous used what they're gained to bless others. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing, right? I could talk all morning about ways that Christians have used their work their influence, their talents for the good of others. Christians like Richard Adams, who pioneered the fair trade movement. Christians who have been on the forefront of anti-trafficking. But let's look at this guy. Is he coming up? This is Marcus Rashford, the footballer. Now, anyone who knows me knows this is very ironic that I've stuck him up here because I have zero interest in football. Sorry, but this guy is such a great example of doing his neighbour and city good. Marcus grew up knowing what it was like to feel hungry and to go without. He also grew up in a Christian home with Christian values. So he used his influence and position to call on the government in 2019 to extend their free school meals into the summer holidays after they said they wouldn't. His campaigning meant the government changed their mind. Because of Marcus, children who would have gone hungry during the holidays were given a meal but he didn't stop there. When the meals turned out to be poor quality and inadequate, his campaigning meant the government issued vouchers for parents to purchase the right food themselves. Marcus said this, the faith we have in God is shown by the people we are. The faith we have in God is shown by the people we are. And he's really living that out, isn't he? Thank God for Marcus Rashford. Now, you might say to me, that's great, Becky, but I'm no famous footballer. How can I make my city rejoice? I don't have any influence. How can I love my neighbour? I love how during lockdown, jobs that may not have been seen as very important were called out for what they really were. Jobs like driving a lorry or working in Tesco's, key workers key workers. During the pandemic I read this lovely interview with a lady called Laura McClellan who had worked at Tesco's for years. There she is. She said she had never felt so humbled as when she and her team of checkout operators were told they were key workers. I never thought I'd be so proud to sell bread and butter she said. And I just felt the heart of God for that lady when I read that. He was saying, yes, I see you scanning those fish fingers. I see you putting your rule into your work. And I love it. Well done. Thank God for Laura McClellan. She's blessing her neighbor by making sure they get food during a pandemic. Your work has value no matter what you do, no matter who you are. Work can be used to exploit our neighbor or do them good. How are you gonna use the influence you have within your company or place of work or daily situation to do people good? Number three, work is frustrating, fruitless, mundane, and boring. For many years, my husband John had a job that seemed to me to be the most boring job anyone could think of. He was a software tester, and all day long, he sat at a computer methodically and carefully testing software to see if he could find any problems with it. If he didn't find a problem, he wasn't doing his job properly. If he did find a problem, it really annoyed the de- people who had developed the software because they had to sort it out. He didn't moan about it once, not once. What he did instead was quietly provide for our family financially. What he did instead was to love the people that he worked with. He didn't gossip about people. He encouraged them. He didn't moan about people. He built community with them, always ready with a joke or a kind word. He acted with integrity, and he worked as hard as he could. He told me to say this. (laughs) Often... He would come home to me and say, oh, I had this great conversation with so-and-so about Jesus today. But the thing that impressed me most about him is the way he handled this nearly all-male environment. If people started talking about women in a way that was inappropriate, my husband would often call them out on it. He'd say, come on, that's not nice. We don't want to talk like that. And because he'd built relationship with them, they respected him and they listened to him. My husband was bringing a foretaste of God's kingdom to his workplace. He was changing the atmosphere and the culture just by going about his ordinary, mundane, often seemingly fruitless job in a way that blessed others and honoured God. Your job might be boring, mundane and seemingly fruitless, but God wants to use you in your place of work to bring some of his kingdom here on earth. To love people, to change the culture and atmosphere, to lift Jesus high. God has put you in your place of work or your daily situation for such a time as this. It's not an accident. God has given us the privilege of knowing that we are part of something far bigger than the mundanity might suggest. You're partnering with Him. I love that about being a Christian. My boring everyday life is part of something so much bigger. It's part of eternity. Me loading the dishwasher, cooking the tea, putting kids to bed. It's part of eternity. So, three ways that work has been distorted work can become an idol. We counteract that by working to serve Jesus himself, work can become selfish, exploiting our neighbour. Instead, we use our work to love and bless our neighbor. Work can seem frustrating, fruitless, and mundane. Instead, we use our work to bring about a foretaste of God's kingdom here on earth, the now and the not yet. We live in this tension, doing all we can to usher in God's kingdom, God's love and compassion, working hard for him in all we do i just got a couple more things to say and then I'm going to be praying for us. In the beginning, God placed man in the garden to work it and take care of it, do you remember? In our great arrogance, we thought we could make it on our own. We thought we could do it our own way. But listen, we've mucked it up on all fronts, haven't we? We've ruined the earth. We've exploited both its resources and each other. We've messed up big time. But here's the wonderful thing. There is still hope. Listen to this. I love this passage from Revelation 21. It is so exciting. This is the Apostle Paul, John sorry, having a vision of what's to come, a vision of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. In the beginning, he was making everything new in paradise. And we got to join in with that. In this season of the now and the not yet, he's making everything new and we get to join in with that. And in the end, he's going to be making everything new in paradise and we get to join in with that. How amazing is that? I can't wait. I believe God is doing a new thing in our nation. Don't you feel it in your spirit? And it's the same new thing he's always been doing. He's building his church. He's ushering paradise in and he's giving us the privilege of partnering with him in that. It's the best kind of work there is. God's glory is going to cover the earth like water covers the sea. How? Get yeah, this, it's mind-blowing. He's going to do it through you and me through Christians living out their lives in the mundane and the extraordinary. You sit in a pew, so to speak, for a couple hours a week at most. You sit in your office or place of work for 40 or more. Where is God wanting you to bring a taste of his kingdom? Where is God asking you to serve your neighbor and love the poor? Where is God wanting you to develop your gifting and talent for his glory, your work? your everyday mundane stressful ordinary life let's partner with him in this great making new of all things bringing his kingdom here on earth lastly maybe you're here this morning and you aren't yet a christian we've been hearing this morning about the god who offers us this invitation to join in and he's saying to you this morning come on Come and join in with me. I love you. We can have so much fun together. Being a Christian is the best thing that has ever happened to me. It has brought me so much life and freedom and joy. Talk to the person you came with or come and talk to somebody at the front. So I want to pray for us now. My hope is that God has given us a glimpse this morning of the bigger picture. As I've been praying and preparing for this, I've been asking God, if you could just boil it down to one thing, God, what do you want to do in our hearts this morning? And I felt over and over God saying, I want to raise your gaze. I want to raise your gaze to this bigger picture that you're part of. I felt like God was saying that we've been half asleep. That was my takeaway from lockdown, actually. I realized, wow, when I gave myself space, I thought, oh. I've been asleep on the job. I've been so concerned with the nitty-gritty of life. I've missed the bigger picture. And I believe that what God is doing in our nation at the moment and what God wants to do this morning is he's waking us up. He's waking hearts up. He's waking churches up. So I'm going to pray for that. I'm also going to pray for excellence, for fruitfulness, for boldness with the gospel in our work and daily lives. So let's stand up. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that we get to join in with you. We want to say we love joining in. We love that you have blessed us with the privilege and purpose of work. We love that you've invited us to join in with you on this great adventure. We love who you are, we love what you stand for. Father God, I pray that you will come now and you will wake us up. Come and wake us up. Come and open our eyes to the bigger picture of who you are, what you want to do through us in our ordinary lives, of what you're doing across the nation and across the globe. God, we want to partner with you. We want to follow you. We don't ever want to be distracted. We love you. Holy Spirit, will you come and anoint us this morning for excellence, will you come and give us innovative ideas? Will you come and make us good at our jobs? God, will you come and give us fruitfulness, give us boldness for the gospel, give us hearts for the lost, help us to love our neighbour? God, will we be culture changers, justice seekers, hope releasers? as we go out from this building into our daily lives that we would be Jesus to the people we meet.